toughness at the center position is not only rare, it's a luxury. Wait, is that the same thing? I digress. The Islanders have been blessed over the years to have several players, both short and long term, that bring added toughness to the center position. So today I bring you the top 10 toughest centers to ever play for the New York Islanders. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bobcockner goes right to King But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I am your host, Joe Lazito. Episode number 26. So episode number 26, if you listen to my Yannick Turcotte episode, and thank you for those of you who listened and for uh, the feedback. I got some really good feedback from that. Um, I'm not surprised at that. And not again, it's never because of me. Um, Yannick was a tremendous interview and Uh, He's one of the few guys who actually play the uh, enforcer role in today's NHL. So for someone like myself and for someone like you listening to the podcast, it probably brings a little different perspective uh, than the guests that I usually have who have retired or, um, you know, whatever the case may be where they're not playing anymore, which I guess would mean they retired. But um, it just brings a different perspective, especially for someone like Yannick, who's still very young. I mean, he could literally play another 10 years in the sport. Uh, hopefully he does. Hopefully he gets some time in Bridgeport. And ultimately, it'd be great to see him get a few games here on the island. So um, I thank Yannick again for his time. And I thank everybody who listened. And um, as I had said during the interview with uh, with Yannick, that uh, I was hoping to interview uh, Zen and Kanapka. Um, here on Long Island... Uh, I guess a lot of the East Coast this past week got hit with some pretty bad storms. Um, We were uh, in that group. We basically lost power. Uh, My, our house here, our neighborhood lost power for, I believe, uh, over two days. Um, There are still people without power. My sister, fuck, every day she's getting a different update from uh, PSEG that uh, the date is now moved even further and further out. I don't exactly know uh, what the issue is. Obviously, I'm not an uh, electrician or someone that works for them, but uh, I mean, this is probably going on six days now, seven days, and uh, they say they're working around the clock. I don't exactly know. I'm not. I'm not shitting on them, uh, but because my sister is involved, obviously, I, I take it a little personal, and I know she's going through a rough time with this. But, but anyway, um, 
I was hoping to interview two guys this week so I could present one of them to you and, and keep one for next week. Uh, but with the uh, power issues that we had, uh, that put a serious crimp in any sort of interviews this week. And then, again, it's always tough um, trying to set up times. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys that I interview, they still, uh, still have jobs after hockey. Uh, they're entrepreneurs in many cases. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have family. So, and my interviews tend to run on the long side. So uh, a lot of times setting up times and dates to record with these guys isn't as easy as you might think. Uh, and then getting, uh, basically having two days in a week wiped out due to uh, electricity issues doesn't necessarily help. So um, I was hoping to have a guest for you this week, and I don't. And uh, I'm going to take a lesson it's actually something I said I would never do, and that is uh, uh, talk about who my next next guest is. And I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore unless I have an episode recorded and ready to go. So uh, if I don't have anything recorded, I am not uh, saying anyone's name because you just never know. And, um, you know, and, and I just want to say this to, to all the players who I have interviewed so far, um, thank you so much for your time. I, I know, uh, like I said, my interviews tend to be very long. Uh, I'd like to think that uh, they're thorough and uh, hopefully, you know, I haven't ever had a, a player come to me afterwards and say, geez, that was so fucking long. Or, you know, everyone is actually really receptive to it. And I've had a lot of players after the fact tell me that they enjoyed it because I brought up a lot of memories that they hadn't thought about in years. Um, so, like I said, I know my, my interviews tend to run long. Uh, but for any prospective guests, um, if I if I you know, reach out to you to do an interview and, uh, you don't want to do it. We're, we're grown men. So, um, if you're not interested, just say no. I've had people say that they're not interested in doing it. And every single one of them has been, uh, polite. They've given me a reason and, uh, they, all the reasons have been, uh, obviously acceptable. Not that, you know, not that they really give a shit if I like it or not, but, uh, it's a grown up conversation. It's between men and, uh, I completely understand um, some players are not really interested in rehashing their careers. Uh, one player who I've uh, brought up a lot of times uh, over the years, even back when I had my um, website where I did player interviews, was Ken Baumgartner. Now, Ken Baumgartner is a player that uh, I get a lot of messages about. That uh, Any chance of getting Bomber on the show? And Man, I would love to get Bomber on the show. Um, it would be unbelievable to get him on the show. He's to me, he's an all-timer, and uh, you know, he, he's he played parts of three seasons here, and they were pretty fucking incredible. And uh, I think Bomber would be a great interview, but uh, uh, he's expressed to me, he expressed to me a long time ago, and uh, and as you can tell, if you listen to different shows, he's never on any show. So uh, I really don't think hearing Bomber on anyone's podcast is is ever going to happen. But you know, never say never. But um, I'd love to get Bomber on here. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. So, like I said, there's been a handful of guys that um, that have told me no. Uh, there's been a handful of guys that told me, based on the job that they have right now, um, it's not something they're interested in. But if situations change, of course, they would uh, they would come on, and I, I totally understand that. So, it, you know, like I say, we're grown men. I'm 49 years old, and uh, most of the players I'm talking to are around my age, if not a little older. Um, maybe a little younger, but uh, if I ask if you want to come on and you're really not interested, then just say no, and uh, it's all good. You know, I understand, and uh, it just makes things easier that way. Uh, the research that I do, um, it's it's pretty intensive. I mean, honestly, depending on what kind of a career the guy had, 
you know, in terms of watching video and uh, researching articles and stories and things like that. I mean, I, I, I could easily uh, put in, you know, five to 10 hours of research per interview. So it's time consuming. And of course, I enjoy doing it. But um, to, to do all the research and then to um, have a hard time reaching, you know, getting in touch with someone, it's a little frustrating. But um, like I said, um, you know, there's been a few guys where we just can't seem to hook up. And, um, you know, if it's a case where those, those players really don't want to do the interview, just tell me, no, it's all good. You know, if it's someone that I have a relationship with already and you're not interested in doing the interview, nothing's going to change. It's all good. Um, even when when I started doing my merchandise, I, I wanted to send a T-shirt to all the guys who I've interviewed before. And when I sent the text out to the guys, I'm like, listen, I want to send you a T-shirt as a thank you. If you don't want it, you can say you don't want it. I, I understand. I mean, you know, for whatever reason, if you don't want to wear it, I, I totally get it. If you if you don't want a T-shirt or you don't want anything, just tell me no, I won't send it to you. And, you know, I think everyone gets a laugh about that. But honestly, I think if you know me, I'm a pretty straight shooter. I, I, I don't say one thing and mean another. So, um, hey, guys, if I ask if you want to do the show and you're not interested, you could tell me no. It's okay. I still love you. I still love your career. I still appreciate everything you did. And, uh, you know, we'll just uh, we'll move on from there. But, um, you know, like I said, this week sucked because I lost, uh, I lost two full days with no electricity. And obviously there are people, like I said, like my sister going through it now that have a lot more things to worry about than uh, their podcast in terms of not having electric, but in terms of me bringing you content for the show, um, the two days this week without electricity really uh, put a crimp in me actually scheduling anyone for this. So um, hopefully next week we will get back to having a guest. And since I have nothing recorded, I'm not going to say anything, but hopefully we will have someone for you. So, uh, as you know, you're here, you're listening to the show. And if you're listening to the show, you probably follow me on social media. And if you do, it's probably Twitter. That's where I'm most active. As you know, I have two Twitter accounts. I have a personal account at Joe underscore Lozito. And the account for the show is at Kali Sin Bin Pod. If you follow one, follow the other. It's a little bit different content. Most of the um, content on the show Twitter is Islander related, Islander Enforcer related. Um, the other stuff on my personal account um, is a little more uh, wide open in terms of the uh, the stuff I put out there. So, um, like I said, I follow back. I'm not one of these people that is saying, hey, follow me, follow me. And then I get uh, 800,000 followers and I follow back 42 people. I never quite understand that. Um, but follow me. I'll follow you back. Follow me on both platforms. Uh, follow me on both accounts on the Twitter platform. I'll follow you back on both accounts. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you, if you, um, tag me on Facebook on my, on the personal page, I don't get back to you. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm just kind of staying away from regular Facebook because it's just, it's a little bit too much right now. And especially with the election coming up in a few months, I definitely have no desire to really post anything on my regular Facebook page, but the uh, show has a page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Go there, like the page again, most of the stuff that's on there has to do with the Islanders, uh, Islanders enforcers, guests for the show, some stats, some photos, uh, Islander enforcer birthdays. So, so check that out, give it a like. And, uh, and I appreciate that Instagram, Joseph underscore Lozito. Like I said, it's a personal Instagram account. I can't remember the last personal picture I've actually posted on it. It's basically a show account. 
uh, give that a follow. Again, I'll follow you back if you do. So I've made reference to my merchandise and uh, sending it to the guys who I've interviewed already. Uh, that is not exclusive to uh, podcast episode guests. That is something that you can order right now. The website for Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise, teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. I think last episode I actually said merchandise. So hopefully I didn't lose any sales because I'm a moron. But uh, that is the website for Coliseum Chronicles merchandise, as I'm fond of saying. Uh, one of the fun things on that is the uh, onesie. Have a baby, get, get him a onesie. See, there is something to that because what do babies like? They like cartoons. They like graphic kind of stuff. And my logo is basically like a cartoon. Now, they don't know who I am, but they may enjoy that logo on the, on the onesie. So grab one of those. And while you're at it, grab yourself a T-shirt, grab yourself a hoodie, grab yourself some socks, uh, plenty of stuff on there. There's something on there for everybody, for you, your kids, your wife, your husband. Um, definitely there's a lot of stuff on there. And again, if the um, if I read the website too quickly, uh, please just check out my social media or also on the description for this episode on whatever platform you are listening to it right now, there will be a link linking up the merchandise page. So please give that a look if you get a chance and uh, buy one. Well, buy something, not one, buy, buy multiples, buy anything. Just give it a look. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, the reason why I'm able to have merchandise is because of a gentleman named Joe Marisich. Joe is a local artist here on Long Island. Uh, Joe is actually someone I think that has been victimized a lot greater than I have uh, in this power situation. Uh, following him on social media, I don't think he has power yet. I'm recording Sunday afternoon. Hopefully that'll change shortly for everybody here. Um, Joe can be followed on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can reach Joe at LoudEgg.com. Like I say, Joe is a local artist. He is for hire. He is someone that uh, you will not be disappointed in if you have an, uh, a project, an art project that uh, you're looking to get done. Um, like I said, if you're an Islander fan, a Jet fan, a Met fan, and you're on social media, you have definitely seen his work and you know he's awesome. So uh, reach out to Joe and uh, hire him, and um, you will not be disappointed. So a few other things, uh, some other podcasts in the hockey fight genre. Darren at the Fourth Line Voice. Darren is uh, presenting Mike Brown Week. And uh, as he said it, and I'll say it, um, there are basically two Mike Browns who made a living uh, beating people up. This is the older Mike Brown. Uh, Mike Brown that was drafted by... Vancouver or well I want to say it was drafted by Vancouver but now I'm not sure because I'm overthinking it but this is the Mike Brown that you've probably seen in fight tapes from the Western League uh, fighting Scott Parker fighting a lot of different guys and uh, he was taken in the first round and he ended up in the Pavel Bure trade so um, I would no I'm going to say it was drafted by Florida and traded to Vancouver how's that because if Bure went to Florida uh, Brownie went back to Vancouver. But either way, uh, Mike is a really, really good guest, really, really good guy. Uh, I met him once or twice when I was living in Philadelphia uh, when uh, he was with Syracuse, I believe, and he came in to play the Phantoms. Really good guy, soft-spoken guy, um, but tough as nails, and he's a great interview. And uh, I believe this past week Darren released an interview uh, Wednesday 
uh, where Mike talks about five toughest guys that he fought, and I believe today he released the uh, full-length interview that he did with Mike. And like I said, I can't recommend it enough, so definitely check that out. Also, as, uh, as you probably know already, uh, Fourth Line Voice YouTube page, uh, he says over 2,000 fights. So, Darren, let's get some more fights on there because I can't wait till I hear you say over 3,000 fights. Now, of course, that's easy for me to say because I'm not uploading all the fights. But I know there's over 2,000, and I can't wait till he says over 3,000. Plenty of great content on there. Definitely check it out. Bobby Longress, the Bucket Drop Podcast. Bobby uh, released an episode this past week, I think his top 10 most exciting Canadians. And uh, the reason why I enjoyed that episode was because it really gives you a different perspective as to how fans of a team look at the players on their team as opposed to fans of another team. I'll give you, for instance, um, two of the players that he named, I wouldn't think would be exciting. Uh, And I'm not shitting on them. Obviously, they're NHLers. Uh, but I don't look at them as exciting, and they could have been honorable mention. And uh, not sure. I don't think they were. But uh, a guy like Benoit Brunet or Oleg Petrov, uh, I don't think of those guys when I think of exciting players. But also, I, I didn't see all the games they played. And, and Bobby's a Canadiens fan, and he did. And, it, and uh, part of the reason why uh, I, I like to promote uh, guys like Darren and Bobby and Alec and, and our shows is because you get a different perspective. And like I said, Bobby's a Canadiens fan, and, and uh, it gives you a different perspective. If you're not a Canadiens fan, um, you can listen to someone like Bobby and, and give his perspective. Of course, uh, if you've listened to him before, you know that um, he lost his boat, which I, I was behind on some shows, and I actually had to listen to his last shows this week, last two shows, and uh, I think he thought someone stole his boat, but it actually ended up that he lost it, which is pretty funny if you think about losing a boat. But uh, I'm glad he got it back. I'm sure it wasn't funny while it wasn't around, but I guess it's funny now since I know that uh, he got his boat back. But but definitely uh, listen to him. And uh, one thing Bobby called me in the episode was Joe the Pro, and uh, I don't really know if that's the case. Uh, I wouldn't think anything I do is professional. Uh, I'm a professional yapper. So if I sound professional, it's strictly based on my 49 years of flapping my gums. Uh, I know this is going to be hard for everyone to believe, but I have no professional training as a broadcaster slash podcaster. This is all off the off the dome and um, no professional training. But thank you for calling me Joe the Pro, uh, Bobby. I think uh, it probably has more to do with the fact that the two words rhyme, but uh, but you're too kind. And um Bobby likes to do the top 10 shows and he had, he had said that he'd like to get me to do a top 10 UFC fighter countdown and I honestly don't think I'm qualified to do something like that anymore. I haven't really watched too much MMA in the last few years. Um, I just kind of fell out of love with it and uh, I think it's not so much the sport and it's definitely not the fighters. I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the outside stuff and uh, I mean, I'll give you for instance, even today, uh, when when uh, my wife and I were chatting this morning, she said uh, Chris Weidman won last night, and I I swear to God I said this. I said I didn't even know he was fighting. Uh, the only guy I knew that was fighting last night was Tim Means. Uh, Tim's a guy that I follow, and uh, and he won. And uh, I mean he's just a he's a beast. So uh, I knew he was fighting last night, but I just don't follow it like I used to. And and I feel really bad about that because I mean there was a time where it was right up there, uh, you know, with my favorite sports and. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff on the um, on the perimeter sort of uh, tainted my passion for it. But uh, 
Uh, Bobby, I don't know if I'm really uh, really your guy to do a top 10 MMA episode, but uh, we can always chat about that. Uh, Alec Olin-Salen, Five for Fighting podcast. Alec just had a long marathon episode with Craig Stahl, former WHL enforcer, uh, minor league enforcer, and Craig had some really, really good stories. Uh, Craig uh, seems like a guy that would be fun to hang out with, crack open a few beers and just wind him up and let him go. He had some really, really good stories. And um, this week, with all the nonsense going on on Long Island with the uh, power outages and the downed trees, there were a couple of times I was severely detoured and uh, I was in my car a lot more than I wanted to be. And thankfully, I had that episode. Uh, Alec, that episode really calmed my nerves because uh, I think it was over three hours and I probably listened to about two hours of it this week in my car while I was being rerouted and detoured. So, uh, so that was a great episode. Craig was a great guest and um, Alec did a great job. And if you're on Facebook, check out uh, Alec's Enforcer Appreciation page. Um, I think he's got over 11,000 or 12,000 members, and there's plenty of former enforcers on there. Um, I, like I said, I'm not really on Facebook too much. I'll post on my Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box page, and I usually check out the Enforcer page at least once a day. Uh, but other than that, that's about it. So it probably says more about the page than myself. It's definitely uh, worth checking out. So uh, check out those shows all good people um i know a lot of times darren darren will say that we're fighting for airtime against the big boys and and i guess that's true um but you know like darren will always say that he'll put his interviews up against anything that uh the big shows do and i agree 100 percent uh you know for guys like darren and myself and alec and uh, bobby I, I think we do some of the best interviews out there and uh i'm not you know pumping our own tires for nothing I know the uh, the prep work that I do, and I know the prep work that those guys do, and and uh, yeah, so we don't have the following as, as the big boys do, and um, you know this week Gino Ojic did the Cam and Strick podcast. Cam Jensen uh, is half of that podcast, and obviously Cam, being an, an ex-player, uh, has a lot of pull and a lot of cachet with some of the players, and uh, those guys did a great job with Gino. I was really glad to hear Gino uh, because he was really sick for a while there, and it was good to hear him. Uh, on a sh on a show just to hear him and he sounds like he's doing really well and uh, I mean Gino's a guy I'd love to get on the show I don't have uh, I don't have the cachet of uh, of a Cam Jansen obviously that guy's a warrior and I'm just a ham and egger um, but you know like I said uh, those guys did a great job I would love the opportunity to do a career show with Gino Ojic I, I think we'd probably hammer out three or four hours easy based on uh, on what he did but uh, like you know like Darren says our stuff you know we're the mom and pop shops in the uh, in the podcast world but uh, like I said I, I'll put us up against anybody I think we do uh, we do a pretty good job and if you're a listener to my show and those shows I, I think you'll agree with us so um, before we get on to this show to the uh, countdown so you're tuning in and as you know I've already said that I wasn't able to procure a guest this week, so uh, this week I'll be bringing you the top 10 toughest Islanders to ever play the center position. Uh, before we get to that, just a, a few things I want to touch on, maybe a few real life things. Um, as you've been, uh, as you know, if you're in the same boat I am, and as I've touched on every week, the uh, federal unemployment, uh, you know, these uh, politicians on both sides, they're meeting for weeks and weeks and they can't hammer anything out. And then finally yesterday, the president signed an executive order uh, to basically do uh, about two thirds of what uh, two thirds of the 600, which is obviously 400, 
uh, 300 would be covered by the federal government, uh, and I guess he's asking the states to pick up the other 100. Um, I really don't know how that works. I don't know when that will kick in. But it's, this is really not about that. It's just, uh, this is a message to all my friends who are really into politics and who are really vocal on social media about how their party is great and the other party is evil. Um, this is a, a really a unique situation that we're in right now where certain people can't go back to work like myself and um, you know, we're trying to keep our heads above water. And I'm not the only one. I mean, there are millions and millions of people in the same boat. And you would think that in a situation like this, our elected officials could sort of get together and kind of hammer this out. But they can't because one side wants to propose this. And in their proposal, it's not just the federal unemployment. It's the federal unemployment and this and this and this and this. And then the other side says, well, if you want the federal unemployment and you want us to agree to your other stuff, then we need you to agree to this stuff. Okay. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is, if you're one of those people who constantly post, and I'm not just talking about the 2016ers, you know who you are, the 2016ers. I'm talking about everybody who, who is so pro their party and so anti the other party. We're all just pawns. It's, it's about time to face the facts. If our elected officials can't agree on something that is going to help millions and millions of people in this country without adding their own bullshit agenda stuff to it, I, I don't know what else to tell you if you're still under this misconception that they give a shit about you or I. Your party does not care about you. Trust me, they don't. We are pawns for these people. So maybe you'll think about that the next time you want to post my party is so great and the other party sucks. Because you know what? They all suck. They're all selfish dicks. That's my political rant for the week. Um, hopefully this gets, um, this gets some people thinking. It probably won't. People are set in their ways. And uh, I'm not about to criticize that because I'm probably more set in my ways than most people. But uh, as far as hockey goes, how about the Islanders? Islanders dispatch of the Panthers, three games to one. Um, unfortunately, Ross Johnston did not see any time. I wanted him to get in a game and maybe beat the brakes off of that Matheson, who uh, was kind of running around those first two games. But uh, then I guess uh, he ran around a little too much for Joe Quenville, and uh, they benched him for the last two. But... Uh, Islanders look pretty good. Right now, the Bruins are playing the Capitals. I don't know what the score is, but whoever wins that game is who the Islanders are playing next. Uh, neither one of those is easy. I don't have a team I want them to play because I'm a big believer and be careful what you wish for. Um, I guess logic would dictate maybe Washington, but because Boston just always seems to handle the Islanders. But this is kind of a unique situation. So uh, I'll just look forward to um, whoever they play and when the games get started again because... There's three or four games on a day, and, and I really can't watch any of the other teams um, because I just have no interest. So uh, I, I'll at least watch the Islanders, and I'm very interested in those games. So congrats to the boys on getting past that uh, play-in round. I mean, I don't know. Some people are calling it the playoffs. Some people aren't calling it the playoffs. But um, they got in, and uh, everybody get ready because the Rangers got eliminated. Uh, if Toronto advances... I can all but guarantee you the Rangers are getting the number one pick and they're getting that Lafreniere, um, if that's how you say his name. Uh, I've never seen him play. I don't know anything about him other than that he's the consensus pick. So um, if Toronto doesn't advance, the NHL has a decision to make who are they going to fix the uh, draft lottery for. But if Toronto advances, I think it's pretty much a lock. The Rangers are getting that number one pick. So everybody get ready for that. But uh, like I said, congrats to the boys. Uh, on beating Florida and uh, move on to the next round against Washington or Boston.
uh, yesterday was my 23rd wedding anniversary to my lovely wife, the love of my life, Andrea. And uh, we went to a place out east called the Longhouse Reserve. Uh, this is not a commercial for them. I, they're not paying me. But I will tell you, it was, just, it was something different. It was a nice change of pace. Uh, a lot of, uh, like, uh, it's a lot of nature. Uh, there's some sculptures in there. Um, one of the things I said is it's weird what people define as art and uh, define as crap. Uh, everything in there is actually pretty cool. But I think if you change the setting and you put, that, put the different pieces somewhere else, it probably just will elicit questions from other people. But it was a lot of fun. It was really inexpensive. Um, and, uh, of course I had a great day with my wife. It was, uh, it was wonderful. And like I said, we don't do that stuff very often. So it was nice to, uh, nice to get out. It's out in East Hampton and, uh, I'm not really a Hamptons type. I know that probably shocks you, but, uh, after we went there, we went to East Hampton. We walked around a little bit and, uh, Jesus Christ, what a bougie bunch out there. My goodness. Um, you know, I know people play the role, the whole Hamptons thing, Long Island, the Hamptons, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's like a big thing. I know News 12 all the time has a reporter that goes out there and she kind of plays the role also. Oh, Hamptons this, Hamptons that. I don't know. You know what? I'm not jealous. Before anyone thinks, oh, you're just jealous. I'm not jealous. Oh, yeah, I'm jealous of the bank accounts of the people out there. I think we can all agree on that. I am. I'm sure you wouldn't mind changing bank accounts with them either i'm sure they all have some nice bank accounts but as we were walking around you know what i didn't see a lot of i didn't see a lot of smiles and i'm not saying they're unhappy people but i think when you live out there it's almost like you're trying to keep up with the joneses and uh it just seemed like a bunch of uptight bougie bastards honestly so um there's a couple of nice places we went out there uh i wish i remember the name of the pizzeria uh because a lot of the food out there is very bougie and uh andrea was able to find a like a blue collar type pizzeria with just these guys and they're Yankees fans and we're just talking sports with them and everything and just regular guys and I was happy to give them our business and uh, it was uh, it was fun and there's a couple ice cream shops out there and uh, you know so it, it, it unless you like to go shopping really um, there's really not a lot out there unless you like to overpay for brand names that really I don't think are much better than anything else uh, but like I said for for us it was uh, it was a nice day, nice day to get out, and uh, we had a beautiful day out there. And if you're uh, ever out east, I would definitely uh, check that place out because uh, I'm sure most of my listeners don't do stuff like that. It's a nice change of pace, and uh, you know, I just like to say to my wife, I love you. I'm happy we've been married 23 years, and hopefully we'll get a bunch more. And um, you know, hopefully the best is yet to come. Finally, there's something I saw on Twitter today, and it's something that I've seen a lot over the years and it's something I don't quite get and I don't know if it's my age or if it's my intelligence or my common sense uh, so maybe you guys can help me with this what's the story with people recording themselves watching games and then recording the reaction that they have to the win because I'm sure people that are recording themselves if their team loses I've never seen anyone put that on social media but they record themselves then when their team wins, they react, and then they post the reaction. What's the story with that? I'm not quite sure because if someone, if you're watching a game with your buddies and you don't know they're recording you and you react a certain way, isn't that organic? Like you don't know you're being recorded. So 
whether you're cursing up a storm or you're jumping around like crazy or you're crying, that's natural. That is just something that happened over the course of your team winning. And that's that could be a beautiful thing or it could be emotional, whatever you want to call it. But once you know that you're filming yourself, doesn't that sort of alter it a little bit or taint it? Because then aren't you just putting on a show? Aren't you just putting on a performance? Like, I, I don't know. It just It's just weird to me. Am I crazy? But uh, I've seen it a lot. And I'm sure now uh, with the NHL playoffs getting into high gear now, I'm sure I'm going to see it more. And I just don't understand it. If I record myself watching the Islanders and if they win the Stanley Cup, I know the camera's on me. So why would I record that and show it? It's like I'm performing. But like I said, I might be crazy. I don't know. But uh, someone help me out there because it just it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. But again, I'm a boomer. Apparently, I don't get all this cool hip stuff. But uh, anyway, so moving on to today's episode. So um, obviously, if you're a fan of hockey and you're a fan of fighting and physical play, uh, you know, most of your uh, tough guys play either uh, right wing, left wing or they play defense. Um, it's very rare that you get a center that fills that enforcer position. It does happen. Uh, and generally, it's not your primary enforcer. It could be uh, a secondary enforcer because if he's playing center and he's getting any sort of minutes, he has a little bit more responsibility than just fighting. So it is a luxury to have a player, like I said, play center that can drop the gloves and play physical. And um, the Islanders over the years have had some guys that have fit that bill. Now, I'm going to be honest, coming up with 10 guys was a bit of a chore. Not coming up with 10 players that played center that uh, were tough because that wasn't the hard part. Uh, but as you'll see, there are some guys on here that uh, were, were very tough, but maybe they didn't have a very long tenure with the Islanders. But because it's the center position, I had to throw them on there. So... Um, I don't want to. I don't want people to get mad. Like in my uh, top ten defenseman uh, episode, I had a couple of people uh, chirping me on uh, social media about guys I left off or guys I included. And um, honestly, if you guys can come up with a center that I left off this list that deserved to be on there, I'm all ears because I racked my brains for this one. And um, if you can come up with someone that I left out please let me know, you know, let me know on Twitter, message me, whatever. If, uh, if you're someone that I correspond with via text, let me know because I don't think I left anyone off. If I, I, I hate to do so if I did, because like I said, this is a pretty tough undertaking coming up with 10 centers, but without any further delay, I would like to present to you the official Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, top 10 toughest Islanders centers in the history of the franchise. So let's get started. Number 10, Adam Creighton. Adam Creighton is a guy who I remember when he was with Chicago. Uh, he kind of had that reputation of a guy who would fight. He doesn't necessarily look for it, doesn't necessarily enjoy it, but he will fight. And Creighton, he's a pretty big dude. Uh, let me see. He was always listed at... Uh, Six five two ten, uh, and I know sometimes those uh, figures are inflated. But Creighton was a big boy, so I believe the six five. He might have been two ten, maybe he's a little bit heavier. And I think if Adam Creighton was probably six one six two, he may not have been asked to do that role where he'd have to fight. But I think when you're big like that at 
it's sort of something that uh, people expect of you. And um, so Adam Creighton, here's a guy. Uh, he's a Memorial Cup champion. He won the Memorial Cup in 83-84 with uh, Ottawa, the Ottawa 67s. He was actually the Memorial Cup MVP. And uh, Creighton was a one-season Islander. He came over in that group of trades in 91-92 uh, uh, where the uh, Islanders traded with Buffalo, where they sent Patty LaFontaine up to Buffalo. They brought in guys like Turgeon and Benny Hogue. Um, and then they traded with Chicago and um, guys like Stevie Thomas and Creighton, they came in. So he was part of that group that came in. So he was a one-season Islander, played uh, 66 games in 91-92, had 102 penalty minutes, only four fights, um, fought some tough guys. Uh, Perry Anderson, obviously, uh, people around here might know from his time with New Jersey. Uh, the, Perry was with the Sharks at the time. Uh, Laurie Boschman, not a heavyweight, but he definitely would uh, would scrap when he had to. He had, uh, I think, his probably his most memorable years were with Winnipeg. Uh, and Gerald Diddick, former Islander defenseman. He was on my countdown of uh, top 10 toughest defensemen. Fought Diddick twice. Uh, Diddick was with Vancouver at the time. So uh, Creighton, again, four fights, 66 games. Not a ton, but a, and if this was a winger thing and he was a winger, I don't think he would register on this. But uh, being that we're talking about centers, Adam Creighton clocks in at number 10 on my countdown. And uh, let's see, where are we going next? Where did I go? Okay, number 10, Adam Creighton. Number nine is a player who I love. Love this guy. Tough fucking guy. And he's as nice a human being as he is tough on the ice. And that is Mark Jansons. That's right. You may have forgotten that Mark Jansons was a very, very short time Islander. And if you forgot that, you're not alone. Mark Jansons was acquired by the Islanders and traded by the Islanders during the 97-98 season. Played 12 games, 34 penalty minutes, and four fights. And he made his fights count with the Islanders. Fought four legitimate killers. Jeff Odgers, Colorado. Brendan Witt with Washington. Gino Ojic of Vancouver. And Chris Murray of Ottawa. Now, obviously, a guy like Jansen's is not known for his time with the Islanders. Probably best known for his time with Hartford. Um, I love Jansen's. We're, we're currently in negotiations right now for him to appear on the show. Um, he's definitely, uh, he's got to run it by his job. And I, again, I totally get that. I don't want anyone to jeopardize anything that means something in their life for my podcast. Um, so I totally understand that. But He's like he's if you've ever met Mark, you know, like you're just thinking to yourself how fucking nice this guy is. Like he's just such a nice guy. Like he really, really is. Um, and in my opinion, if you're doing an all time toughest centers list, he's at the table. He's in the discussion. Um, Mark is super fucking tough. Um, like I said, most known for his time with the Whalers. Uh, centered the Kelly Chase, Mark Jansen, the Scott Daniels line. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Mark played with a lot of tough guys in Hartford before uh, he played with Chase and uh, the Chief there. Played with uh, Jimmy McKenzie, played with Nick Kiprios. So Mark was always part of tough teams in Hartford. And that probably helped him because he didn't have to be the number one guy. And if you've seen Mark Jansen's play, you know damn well he does a lot more than fight. Uh, Mark is a tough guy. Mark's good on faceoffs. He's good in his own end. He's good defensively covering the other center. Um, and I guess playing, when he first went to Hartford, playing with guys like Jimmy, 
and uh, you know, as time went on, playing with guys like Kelly and Scott, um, you spread you spread the duties throughout multiple players, and uh, it allows you to play the game. And I, I'm pretty sure that Jansen's Chase and Daniels got a regular shift in Hartford, so it's got to be comforting knowing that you're not the only guy doing that job. And um, you know, I would think if you ask anybody about Mark Jansen's the prob first thing they'll probably say is tough and nice because I think those are the two words that really describe him. Another word you can use is intelligent. Uh, Mark was the two-time WHL Scholastic Player of the Year during his time with the Regina Pats. So uh, he's he's a pretty interesting guy, really tough, really nice. I, I did interview him back when I had my uh, website in 2004, 2005. Unfortunately, uh, I can't find that interview anywhere, but uh, hopefully things will work out and I can get him on the show. Uh, but if not, then uh, I'll have to be satisfied with Mark Jansen's entry at number nine on my all-time toughest centers. And again, Mark Jansen's is number nine on this list strictly because he's played only he played only 12 games. If Mark Jansen's even played a full season, he'd be a lot higher on this list. Um, 12 games, four fights, 34 pims. Uh, I had to put him on the list. He's uh, one of the toughest centers that ever played for the team. But like I said, even if he had played a full season – he would be a lot higher on this list. Number eight, Nathan Thompson. Nate Thompson. I don't know what he prefers, so I'm going to call him Nate. Nate Thompson. Uh, Nate Thompson played two seasons with the Islanders. Uh, he's played a total of 82 games, 88 penalty minutes, uh, including the preseason. He had 11 fights. Uh, some of the guys that Nate fought, uh, he fought Adam Mayer, fought Aaron Voros, fought Dan Carcillo, um, Let's see, Kyle Chiptura, Ian LaPerriere, Rod Pelly, uh, preseason fought a guy named Brian Young. I don't know much about him. I don't know what his his deal is, if he's a guy that was trying to fight for a job. But uh, Nate Thompson, uh, native of Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, the, the thing about Nate Thompson right now that uh, obviously off the ice that I respect a lot is Nate is uh, he's overcome drug and alcohol addiction. And a lot of guys do that. And listen, I fortunately... I have never been addicted to drugs or alcohol. I'm probably addicted to cheese and chocolate cake, I guess. But um, I've never been addicted to drugs and alcohol. And, and how everybody reacts is their own personal journey. And the thing about Nate that I, I really respect a lot is uh, he's not shy about telling his story because uh, I think he feels like it's going to help other people that are struggling with addiction. And um, he's very... Uh, forthcoming about his experiences i think it was i, I saw it i want to say it was one of the canadian networks I, I think i don't know if it was uh fuck cbc or something where he did in it he did a, a a pretty good interview i think it was him and his wife and he was talking about his struggles and what he's doing now and, and things like that but um whenever you get a guy like that who's struggled with certain things that let's face it can kill people uh, but is is and has a platform, you know. Has you know he's a guy, and now he's playing for Montreal, so it doesn't really get much bigger than that as far as hockey platforms go. Um, and he's willing to discuss the battles that he's gone through to help other people. You have to respect that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Nate uh, after his time with the Islanders. I believe he was with LA at the time, um, and um, we were able to chat for a bit after a game. And uh, really cool guy. I'd love to get him on the show. Love to talk about his career and talk about the stuff that he's doing now post-career. Um, I guess the best thing I could say, well, not the best thing. Obviously, I just said what the best thing is. Uh, the thing I noticed about 
Nate when he was an Islander because I didn't really see too much of him before he was an Islander. And obviously after when you leave and you go to, uh, I think you went to Tampa and um, Anaheim afterwards and like I said, Montreal and Philadelphia. Uh, the only time I would really see him play with those teams is when he plays the Islanders. But the one thing I noticed with the Islanders is he's the kind of guy that you don't realize how valuable he is until he's on your team. You don't realize all the stuff a guy like a Nate Thompson does until he's on your team and you're watching him on a daily basis. Like you might be sitting here now going, I don't know much about a Nate Thompson. And if he didn't play for your team, I could totally get that. But for for fans of teams that Nate Thompson played for, like myself, where he played for the Islanders, you know the value that Nate Thompson brings to your team. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm glad Nate Thompson was an Islander. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the guy. I'd love to get him here on the show. Uh, but... Like I said, aside from fighting, he did a lot more for the Islanders, and uh, he's doing a lot more for humanity right now uh, with with what he's doing now off the ice. So, number eight, Nathan Thompson. Nate Thompson, good job, Nate. You're doing some really good things, and uh, I think we're all cheering for you. Keep up the good work. Number seven. Man, I wish that I had uh, some better things to say about number seven. We're going to start with the good things. Number seven is Kevin Colley. You want to talk about a guy that's an inspiration. Kevin Colley is that guy, okay? I'm just going to look right now at Kevin Colley's numbers. It's a guy that uh, was, was, I mean, I don't want to say a star in the OHL. The guy had 107 points one year in the OHL. No, 101 points in the OHL, 107 penalty minutes. Uh, I guess my eyes just always wandered in that category. But his last year in Oshawa, in 63 games, he had 101 points, 68 penalty minutes. This guy can play. You know, he's typical of guys who, before they're typecast into a role and have coaches that believe in them, can actually play the game and show that they can play the game. Kevin Colley is one of those guys. And here's a guy that, if you followed his career, battled through the East Coast League, battled through the American League. I mean, this is a guy, you know, listen to some of these cities Charlotte, Dayton, Pensacola, uh, played in, for the Brass in New Orleans. Uh, you know, Atlantic City, played in the American League in Providence and in Hartford and uh, had some really good years with Bridgeport. And then finally, in 2005-2006, he gets the call to the Islanders. And when you look at a guy like Kevin Colley and you look at the back of his hockey card and you see all those cities that he had to battle in and play in to reach his NHL dream, I, how do you not feel good for a guy like that? And... Um, I know when I found out that Kevin got called up, I was pretty pumped for him. Obviously, I knew about him. Uh, you know, you follow those type of players, physical players, and you, you see the journey that they take. It's similar to when I had Mike McWilliam on the show, and you talk about all those places that they played before the NHL and the journey that they took. And, and you know, when Mike McWilliam ends up playing six games, I believe, for the Islanders, like, how do you not feel good for that guy? Well, Kevin Colley finally gets called up in 05-06, and, uh, like, like, how do you not, how are you not pumped for that guy? And uh, he's just, you know, plugging along, playing his games for the Islanders, contributing. Um, he ended up playing 16 games for the Islanders, had six fights in 16 games, 52 penalty minutes, doing everything he can do. He's fighting guys like Kevin Dahlman. He fought Manny Malhotra, Rafi Torres, Kevin Bieksa, uh, Danny Richmond with Carolina, uh, Dan Lacatore with the Bruins. Uh, and then in the 16th game against Washington, uh, he ends up breaking his neck. And... Um, like, it's just a real somber thought, you know, remembering 
that and w- watching the game and, and uh, just seeing the guy prone on the ice. Fortunately, and it's no surprise, um, you know, knowing how tough Kevin is, uh, he's, he's, he's fully functional today in terms he's not he's not uh, paralyzed. He's not uh, quadriplegic or paraplegic. Uh, you know, he's, he's I'm not going to say that uh, he's completely healed because honestly, I don't know. But I know his extremities, he functions. But uh, Kevin's a fighter, and uh, you know he came to come back from something like a broken neck. Is I mean, what I can't really put it into words. The admiration I have for this guy, and um, but you know, like I said, he broke his neck in his 16th NHL game. It, it finished his season. It finished his career, and it's it's really bittersweet for a guy that battled all those years to make it to the NHL, and. Um, you know, hopefully one day I can get Kevin on the show and, uh, you know, just uh, talk about it. I remember uh, it was pretty emotional uh, that season that he played for the Islanders and he broke his neck. Uh, he won the Bob Nystrom Award. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, obviously you can imagine uh, the Bob Nystrom Award, what that recognizes, and it's it's uh, all about grit and toughness and, you know, extra effort and all the things that every guy on this list, a guy like Kevin Colley, brings to the Islanders, and uh, I believe it's uh, voted on by the players. So um, I think it's the players. It might be Bob. I honestly don't know. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's the fans. It could be the fans. Yeah, dude, I don't even know. But here's what I know. If you win the Bob Nystrom Award and, and you play um, play the way they played, guys like that played, it's a pretty high honor. And uh, in 05, 06, Kevin Colley won the Bob Nystrom Award. It's not the first thing he's won uh, in um, – when he was with Atlantic City, he won the Kelly Cup, the ECHL championship, uh, and he was a playoffs MVP. So, like I said, this is a guy that can play the game. And uh, But, again, tough as nails, Kevin Cawley, number seven on my list, all-time toughest New York Islanders centers. Number six. Number six is bittersweet for me in a different way because uh, he did not have anything like what Kevin Cawley had to endure. This is strictly bittersweet in a hockey sense. Number six is Bob Bassett. Uh, it's bittersweet because I don't think... I know Islander fans remember Bob Bassett, but it seems like when people talk about Bob's career, his Islander stuff is, is pretty much forgotten or it's not really acknowledged. And I think that's because he became... He really, I think, reached his full potential uh, with St. Louis, which was a team he played... He was an Islander, then a Blackhawk, I believe, then a Blue. And um, the Blues really... That's where Bassin uh, blossomed. I'm going to say a lot of B words here and probably trip over my tongue. But with St. Louis, that's really where Bob just took his game to the next level. Uh, but Wally was an Islander, and this guy was effective, and Bob is not the biggest guy in the world. Let's see. Bob Bassin is listed at 5'10", 180. I'm not sure he's 5'10". I'll be honest with you. He plays like he's 6'10", but... I mean, Bob Basson, there's nobody that works harder than Bob Basson. Ask anyone that's gone into the corner with him. Uh, just really, really tough. Tough guy. Obviously not the biggest guy. But Bob Basson played uh, four seasons with the Islanders, 204 games, 259 penalty minutes, and counting the playoffs, he had 16 fights. Some of the guys he fought, Joe Sorella of the Devils, um, let's see, Lou Francisketti, Washington, Rick Tockett, Philadelphia, uh, Ken Danico of the Devils, uh, Perry Anderson of the Devils, Mark Hunter of Calgary. So he fought guys like legitimate tough players. I mean, he fought guys like John McClain too and, and Troy Murray and Gary Galley. Oh, Ronnie Stern, I, I didn't mention him. So Bob fought 
guys of every skill level, every toughness level, didn't back down from anybody. And um, like I said, it's it's tough because I remember really taking a liking to Bob. And next thing I know, he's traded to Chicago. Um, then, like I said, with St. Louis, he just uh, really comes into his own. He becomes uh, a fixture there. And, um, you know, I imagine that most people that uh, are fans of teams that Bob played on feel the same way I feel. Uh, Bob was a tough guy, could play the game. Again, a lot of these guys are, you know, it's funny because, you, you know, none of these guys are superstars. And they all have to, you know, obviously they're tough, but they all have to work on their fundamentals. So a lot of these guys, you hear me say, well, they're very good on face-offs and they're good defensively, which is really true because this is the stuff that they have to work on because they're not superstars. But, uh, you know, like I said, I would have loved to seen Bob uh, play at least half his career with the Islanders. He had a nice long career uh let's see what did he end up playing you know 765 nhl games good for you bob that's uh that's fantastic 93 playoff games um tremendous uh, you know tremendous individual really nice guy i don't know if he would do my show uh of course listen i'm gonna say i'd love for all these guys on this list to do my show uh i'm not sure if bassin would do it or not but uh, i'd love to at least try uh number six bob bassin Number five, Jason Weimer. Jason Weimer is interesting because Jason Weimer came to the Islanders the same summer that uh, Aaron Asham came to the Islanders. So this was, uh, Islanders were definitely moving. Uh, and this is the team that already had Eric Cairns, Eric Goddard, Dave Scatchard, Steve Webb. So now you're adding a guy like Aaron Asham. You're adding a guy like Jason Weimer. So these, this was fun. This was a lot of fun having these guys on this team. So Jason Weimer in two seasons played 94 games, 140 penalty minutes, 14 fights, uh, including the preseason. So in 0-2-0-3, played 81 games, had 10 fights. Um, Weimer had a pretty good rivalry with Eric Bolton, and if you listen to the Eric Bolton episode, uh, he talked about that a little bit. Uh, Weimer and Eric always managed to find each other after their first incident. Uh, and then that season with the Islanders, uh, actually, that was the game, that was opening night where Bolton fought uh, Asham, Weimer, and Cairns, won a period in the same game. So uh, welcome to Buffalo, Eric Bolton. But Jason Weimer, Eric Bolton, Francis Lassard, Shane Knighty, Jean-Luc Rampierre, Kip Brennan, Sean Brown, Ty Domi. Folks, these are some pretty tough players, I'm telling you here. You know, Brian Sotherby, uh, you know, for a guy who had more responsibilities than dropping the gloves, uh, he took on some pretty big boys here. He led the team in preseason fights in 2003-04. He was, uh, was he tied? Yeah. Nope. Him alone. He had two. Uh, like I said, he had 10 in 02-03. He had two in 03-04 uh, in only 13 games. I think that was uh, when he, I think he went to Minnesota after that. But uh, but Jason Weimer, very tough guy. Uh, the 02-03 season was a lot of fun for me, like I said, being an Islander fan and at any given time on the ice, you have more than one of these guys out there. Like I said, Weimer and Cairns and Goddard, Asham, Scatchard, Steve Webb. I mean, you basically have about 40% of your team that is, uh, they get paid to kick people's asses. So, uh, so that was a lot of fun. But again, Weimer can play first round pick, Tampa Bay first round pick, played a lot of years. Uh, let's see, Jason Weimer ended up playing uh, 726 NHL games with uh, four or five teams here. So, uh, so good for him. Uh, met him once or twice. Nice guy, um, which again really isn't a qualification to be on the list. Uh, if you deserve to be on the list, you're on this list, whether you're a douche or not. And uh, fortunately, 
Uh, all the guys that I've met on this list are, are first-class individuals. So uh, Jason Weimer clocks in at number five on my all-time toughest Islanders center list. So now we start getting into the nitty-gritty here. Number four, Michael Haley. Michael Haley played three seasons with the Islanders, 43 games, 151 penalty minutes, and including the preseason, had 24 fights. So when I think about Michael Haley, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is his third NHL game, which was the revenge game against Pittsburgh. He was a key player in that game. Uh, if you've seen that game, of course, you know what I'm talking about. But how about giving him props for something else? That was the game he scored his first NHL goal. Scored his first NHL goal, had a few fights in the game. Um, I mean, I watched the game recently doing the research for uh, my Kanaka interview. And uh, I watched both feeds. Uh, at the time, I was living in Philadelphia, so I got the uh, NHL package, and I was able to record the Pittsburgh feed and the Islanders feed. And, my God, the Penguin announcers. Uh, God, what's this? Bob Airy. Who was a little surprising that a guy that played like Bob Airy was so whiny about that game. Uh, and I can't remember the other guy's name. But, uh, I mean, it was – if you get a chance and you're able to watch the feed from Pittsburgh, it's actually – kind of sad when you listen to it it's just really a lot of whining going on so uh, but it's not surprising because then after the game Mario Lemieux was whining a little bit so I guess it's just a, uh, a Penguins thing at the time I don't know um, but Michael Haley like I said third NHL game was that uh, revenge game he was actually called up from Bridgeport uh, the day before and I believe at the time of his call up he was leading Bridgeport in penalty minutes which I'm 99% positive of that and he was either leading the team in goals or scoring. So, again, when these guys get a chance to play, they can do more than fight. But, uh, like I said, Michael Haley, uh, some of the guys that he fought while he was here with the Islanders, uh, Matt Claxon, Kim Claxon's kid, uh, I guess it was preseason, he fought uh, Matt Claxon and Steve Downey of the Flyers. Uh, fought Brandon Prust of Calgary, Rich Clune of L.A., uh, Rob Davison of the Devils. Uh, let's see. Of course, we have uh, Craig Adams and uh, Max Talbot from that revenge game. He tried to get at Brent Johnson, but a freight train named Eric Goddard came in and kind of pulled him off there. But uh, again, if you've seen that game, you, the, the uh, scene of Michael Haley skating down as um, Brent Johnson's trying to shake off his blocker um, or his catching glove, I don't remember which one it was, is just something that gives you goosebumps. Uh, like I said, big part of that game. Uh, also fought Adam Mayer, fought, fought Dan Carcillo, Sean Avery, Matt Carrenti, Cam Jansen twice, Stu Bickle twice, Chris Neal, Jared Bowl. I mean, this is a guy, 43 Islander games, 24 fights, fought everybody and their dog, everybody trying to make the most of his opportunities. Um, three times in uh, preseason, in his three preseasons with the Islanders. Well, I guess he had four preseasons with the Islanders in three of those preseasons he was tied for the team lead in fights uh, Michael Haley also led the NHL in penalty minutes in 2017-18 with Florida and I'm going to tell you how many he had I should have written that down but I didn't but Michael Haley in 17-18 had 212 penalty minutes with the Panthers and uh, he's still going he's uh, he's with the Rangers didn't see any action in the playoffs as far as I know uh, but hopefully uh, we haven't seen the end of Mike. I, I hope he continues to play. And uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him back here, to be honest with you. But uh, 
they don't even play Russ Johnston every game here, so I don't know if that's going to happen. But um, Mike's a good guy. Hopefully he continues to play. Um, and like I said, Mike, number four on my list of toughest Islanders centers. So now we are in the top three. Number three is a guy who you may not associate with fighting right away because he did a lot of other things. He had a lot more responsibilities, and he also has four Stanley Cup rings. He's probably more known for his playmaking, probably, well, definitely known more for his skating. Number three is Bob Bourne. Bob Bourne, to me, is one of the more underrated fighters in the history of the team. So just uh, some numbers for Bob. In 12 seasons with the team, 855 games, 604 penalty minutes, 33 fights. So again, Bob Bourne's job was not to fight, and Bob Bourne played on some very tough teams. Uh, but he also played during an era where most guys fought a little bit, and Bob is one of those guys. So Bob's season high in fights is six, which he had in 79-80, which is coincidentally, of course, the first year they won the Cup. Uh, some of the guys that Bob fought over his career, uh, Ron DeLorme in Colorado, uh, Ben Wilson. How about that, Ben Wilson? Uh, let's see, Brad Smith, Rob Ramage, Colin Campbell, Dale Hunter. I'm sure everyone was rooting for uh, Bobby in that one. Uh, Brad Maxwell, Danny Gare, Barry Melrose, uh, Marty McSorley, again, Danny Gare, Lou Francis Getty. So... Again, Bob Bourne, not known as a fighter, tougher than you think he is because you probably, like I said, you don't think about Bob Bourne fighting, but he fought 33 times as an Islander, never backed away from anyone. Uh, like I said, probably the biggest name on his list is McSorley. That was uh, Mar Marty McSorley with Pittsburgh. So uh, maybe go back and watch a few of his fights. He's not a killer. Like, he's not taking Bob Nystrom's spot. He's not taking Clark Gilley's spot. But Bob Bourne, Again, even if he never had a fight with the Islanders, who's kidding who? He's a key member of those uh, Stanley Cup winners. But the fact that a guy like Bob Bourne, and let's, let me give you some stats here. Bob Bourne uh, in his NHL career, 964 games, 582 points, another 139 games in the playoffs, um, you know, 96 points. At I mean, this is a guy, Bob Bourne's a legitimate player, but Bob Bourne was also tough. And Bob Bourne didn't shy away from anybody. And um, like I said, the guy's a four-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, he won the Canada Cup in 84-85, won the Bill Masterton Trophy in 84-85 also. And I think this is common knowledge, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's common knowledge, I think, for people here on the island, but it may not be common, and probably common knowledge for people in Saskatchewan, but maybe not other places. Uh, Bob Bourne spent some time in the Houston Astros system with another uh, Sasky boy and another four-time Stanley Cup champion, Clark Gillies. So um, in case you didn't know that, uh, Bob and Clark are two-sport athletes. But Clark might have been a three-sport athlete, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, both of those guys ended up spending a lot of time, not a lot of time, but uh, some time in the Houston Astros organization. So, um, you know, oh, and also Bob Bourne was a, uh, a one-year, and I remember this because it was uh, Sports Illustrated. I don't know if they still do the Sportsman of the Year. I don't, I don't read the uh, magazine anymore. But the, it was a pretty big deal uh, back in the day. And there was one year there were uh, multiple, multiple people 
were sportsmen of the year and uh bob was one when he was with la and it was the same year that dale murphy who some of you may know is my all-time favorite baseball player uh they were sport two of the sportsmen of the year that year so um you know it's obviously that bob does a lot of stuff off the ice and um obviously he does a lot of stuff on the ice so uh my number three center is bob Bourne, four-time stanley cup champion now we get to number two now this was difficult and i'll tell you why and you'll understand once i start explaining it because my number two is zen and kanopka and zen and kanopka played one season with the islanders but what a season it was zen and kanopka played 82 games 307 penalty minutes and 25 fights which led the team and uh the 307 penalty minutes led the league and that was the second year in a row he led the league in penalty minutes he led the league before the season before with tampa he had 265 here's my dilemma the reason why kanapka is not number one because you can make an argument for it because he has the same amount of fights as my number one and he did it in one season uh the season that kanapka had 2010-11 um was pretty fucking awesome uh like i said as i was going through the footage for my interview with him and i'm watching it and i would record everything if the guys did interviews or goals or obviously the fights or anything that had to do with the tough guys like that season anything that kanopka did that was on tv or trevor gillies or haley or matt martin uh hamannick those guys anything i, I kind of kept you know i kept all the video on that stuff and um kanopka was a massive part of the team that year and he's actually a big reason why i really jumped back in head first there's been a few times in my life where i've kind of uh, stepped away from not stepped away from hockey but kind of stepped back a little bit uh because of the changes in the game and how they're trying to make the game weak and um it doesn't it didn't sit well with me well the islanders before z came here they had already had matt martin in the organization and trevor gillies was there and, and haley um and then they had Kanopka, and it's it was like, well, these guys are all going to play. They're all going to be on the same team. And I had known Kanopka already, and Kanopka's a guy that could take a regular shift. And uh, the only thing that uh, I think, again, like I've said with all these guys, he's known for his toughness. He's known for his face-offs. I'm, and the other thing that Z is known for is his chirping, his his chirp game, I think, is second to none. Just going through these uh, DVDs that I have, my God, that guy is, uh, he's a chirp master. He's a chirp ninja. Um, he's a guy that he is part of the reason why I jumped back in that season. And for those of you who know a little bit about my personal story, that season, uh, 2010-11, that was February of 2011, where I was attacked on the subway. And um, the Islanders as an organization and the, some of the players, Z being one of them, Gillies, Matt Martin, um, you know, Dean Chenault as a coach, um, those guys really helped me out a lot in, uh, in my recovery. So I'm always going to have um, a soft spot in my heart for that team because, and it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the enforcers, uh, you know, guys like Michael Grabner and John Tavares and, uh, um, Franz Nielsen, uh, Bruno Gervais, a lot. And I know, you know, the bad part about, oh, uh, Montoya. 
um, Al Montoya was another one. And, and part of naming guys that were good to you and did nice things for you is that inevitably you're going to forget some names, and I'm sure I am, and I apologize. But um, though that season was, was pretty special for me because, um, you know, like I said, after, uh, after I was screwed over by New York City, um, there were a lot of people that did a lot of nice things for me, and I, I've said that a million times. The Islanders were one of them, and, and I'll never forget after a game in Philadelphia where um, the Flyers honored me. They put me on the scoreboard, and uh, really, I love hearing the story that Dean Chanel tells us that he's on the bench, pissed off, going, we got to do something for this guy. You know, he's, he's an Islander fan. He's been an Islander fan forever, and now the Flyers are doing something. We got to do something for him, and um, after the game, you know, I went down to the Flyers locker room and I met some of the guys. And then I was going down to the Islanders end, and, and Coach Capuano saw me. And I never, I'd never spoken to him before, but obviously he must have spoken to Dean. And he saw me on the scoreboard, and he goes, "Hey, come here, come talk to the guys." And I, and I went in the locker room and I addressed the team. And um, you know, obviously, what I what I focused on was that revenge game uh, because that was uh, the re the revenge game happened the night before uh, my incident on the subway. So um, this game was a few weeks later, and I focused on how the team came together and uh, how they're, you know, it's obviously they care about each other, and it's like a brotherhood in there. And uh, it, was, it was a little intimidating, but it was a lot of fun. And um, I'll never forget when I'm in there and I'm talking about the game, and like I said, out of, the, out of the corner, well, corner of my ear, I guess, behind me I hear someone go, oh, I knew you liked that one, Joe, and I turn around and it was, it was uh, Kanaka. So... Um, that it would have been easy to put Kanopka at number one, but I put him at number two really because number one played a lot more games for the Islanders, and, and we'll talk about him in a second. Uh, but that season, the season Kanopka had in 2010-11, uh, let's talk about his fight card. Brandon Prust twice, Mike Brown, Travis Moen, Dan Carcillo twice, Kevin Westgarth, Adam McQuaid twice, David Clarkson twice, Adam Mayer, Aaron Asham twice, Troy Bodie, Mike Rupp, Kyle Clifford, Brad Stobitz, Sean O'Donnell. I mean, and I, I didn't even name some of the other guys because maybe they're a tier lower. And I'm not, you know, oh, Chris Stewart. I mean, fought everybody, everybody. And, and it wasn't just the fights. It was every time he was on the ice, something happened, it seemed like. And, um, you know, it's it just watching a guy like Kanopka every night is – it's really a lot of fun and it makes watching games fun and the Islanders were not a very good team that year and you know what it was it was almost an afterthought because when you're on a, a team that's not doing very well it's easy for guys to quit and that team was not going to quit with guys like Kanopka and Gillies and Matt Martin on the team um, and the superstars on the team and like I said guys like Grabner and Tavares and, and Nielsen the team wasn't going to quit so um, and I, and actually, Doug Waite started the year as the captain, and I think he got hurt. And for a lot of the season, the team did not have a captain. And I always wondered why they just didn't give the C to Kanopka, because I think he kind of acted like the captain. He did a lot of the things on the ice that you would see a captain do. And it's really weird that he didn't come back, because if I'm not mistaken, I remember at a certain point late in the season, Garth Snow, who was the GM at the time, his kid was walking around with a Kanopka T-shirt on. So I don't exactly know what the issue was with them bringing him back, and I hope to find out by getting him on the show. But uh, Kanopka was a very big part of the team that year, and it, was, it really was a lot more than his fighting. 
it was pretty much his entire game and his entire personality. Um, but even though the guy only played one season, I had to put him at number two. And like I said, his numbers speak for themselves. 307 penalty minutes, 25 fighting majors. And that doesn't even really include anything in the Penguin game because uh, he he got, went after Talbot, uh, Talbot there at the end. Uh, everyone was going after Talbot. That was the fun part about him not uh, not getting kicked out of the game because uh, he had the cheap hit on uh, Blake Como. And um, then it was sort of like open season on him. And, and Z went after him also in that game. But, um, you know, like I said, 307 penalty minutes, second highest total in team history, of course, behind Brian Kearns, 356. Uh, the guy's a winner, won the Memorial Cup with Ottawa in 98-99. Won the Kelly Cup in the ECHL with Idaho in uh, 2003-04. Um, the guy is an entrepreneur. He's, uh, he runs many businesses. Um, easy guy to root for, that's for sure. So uh, number two is Zen and Kanopka. And my number one is a guy who I believe I am definitely going to get on the show. And the guy is an all-around player. Call him a power forward. Uh, definitely a guy that I would go to war with any day of the week. Dave Scatchard, to me, is the number one toughest center that has ever played for the Islanders. And if he's listening to this right now, I hope he appreciates it. And obviously, Dave is an appreciative guy. What I, I guess what I meant to say is I hope I'm not embarrassing him. I hope it's not embarrassing to him uh, because Dave's the kind of guy that will always uh, defer to other players. And, uh, you know, he reveres this, this organization and the great players that have played in the past. So I hope I don't embarrass Dave by saying I have him at number one. But uh, just to give you some numbers, Dave Scatchard, five seasons with the Islanders, 347 games, 504 penalty minutes, including exhibition. He had 25 fights. Uh, season high with the Islanders for fights, nine. And uh, let's talk about some of the guys he fought. Uh, Sandy McCarthy, Marty McSorley, Bob Bugner, Francis Belanger, Rhett Warner, Gordy Dwyer, Matt Barnaby, Kenny Danico, Steve Monador, Aaron Asham, Rob Ray, Shane Corson, Adam Mayer, Chris Simon. So let's see. Sketch was, uh, let's see, listed 6'3", And a lot of the guys I just named were bigger than him. Bigger. Than, so he, he, some of those guys are super heavyweights. Sketch didn't matter. He fought everybody. And, um, you know, I, I want to say... He, Kevin Colley won the Bob Nystrom Award one year. Dave Scatchard won the Bob Nystrom Award in 2000, 2001. And actually, the most memorable fight that Dave Scatchard had, he didn't even get a fighting major for it. Dave Scatchard knocked out Lance Ward of Florida. And uh, Lance Ward's a big dude, tough dude. Um, and it was sort of like a, I don't know if you call it a flash knockout, but it was like a one-punch shot and ward went down it was that quick it, if you look for it on youtube you probably have to watch it a couple of times and as i was going over dave's fight card i'm going wait where is lance ward where's lance ward it doesn't make sense that's the one fight i remember him the most for and when i went back to the box score he got a double minor for roughing and a 10 minute misconduct so the fight of dave scatcherts that i remember him the most for a knockout flash knockout tko whatever you want to call it of a monster named lance ward he didn't even get a five minute major for so if you want to add that to his 25 and make him a 
give him 26, but I guess technically he can't. It was a double minor for roughing and a 10-minute misconduct. But um, what's Dave doing now? So if you've heard, uh, I had an episode with him. Dave is now uh, a life coach and a motivational speaker, and he, God, he's doing so well with that right now. I'm not surprised um, with Dave's personality and the way that he cares about other people. Um, this is probably a natural progression for him, and he's very successful at it. Um, Dave, um, a month or two ago, he did the Get Your Shit Together Challenge, and it was a free challenge. Uh, if you saw it on my social media, um, he was inviting people. He w- it was free. It was a challenge to try to help people maybe get their life together, uh, and it was definitely the right thing at the right time because everybody is struggling. A lot of people are struggling with the COVID and other things in their life, and uh, it was something that Dave was doing um, to try to help people, and, I, and I'm sure that he reached out well i'm sure he reached out to a lot of people he reached a lot of people and i'm sure that you know and i guess it's sort of cliche to say even if he helped just one person but i'm sure he helped more than one person so um dave's a good guy i hope to get him on the show i'm actually going to reach out to him this week to try to set something up but for his on the uh, and and again dave was part of that group like i said with uh, jason weimer where you had Cairns and you had Goddard and you had Asham and you had Webb and Weimer and Scatchard. Um, I tell you, that was a fun team. That was that was a lot of fun. Nobody came in and bullied the Islanders, that's for sure. Um, but for his on-ice exploits, Dave Scatchard, my number one toughest New York Islanders center. So let's recap, shall we? Do-do-do, scroll up, scroll up, scroll up. Okay, so we're going to recap. Number 10, Adam Creighton. 66 games, 102 penalty minutes, four fights. Number nine, Mark Jansen's 12 games, 34 penalty minutes, four fights. Number eight, Nate Thompson, 82 games, 88 pims, 11 fights. Number seven, Kevin Colley, 16 games, 52 penalty minutes, six fights. Number six, Bob Basson, 204 games, 259 penalty minutes, 16 fights. Number five, Jason Weimer, 94 games, 140 penalty minutes, 14 fights. Number four, Michael Haley, 43 games, 151 penalty minutes, 24 fights. Number three, the surprise of the group, Bob Bourne, 855 games, 604 penalty minutes, 33 fights. And, uh, oh, yeah, four rings. Number two, Zenon Kanapka, 82 games, 307 penalty minutes, 25 fights. And number one, as we just discussed, Dave Scatchard, another good Western League boy, 347, uh, 347 games, 504 penalty minutes, 25 fighting majors. So there you have it. Um, once again, in case you don't remember from when I did the um, top 10 defenseman episode, all these lists that I'm doing, uh, the next list will either be top 10 left wings, top 10 right wings. Uh, it's a pro- part of a project that I'm doing to come up with my ultimate top 10 Islander enforcer list. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know if anybody on today's list will end up on the all-time top 10. Uh, it, it's probably a pretty tough top i'm gonna try that again it's a pretty tough top 10 list to crack 
and I don't know if anybody from this list will make it, but that's the beauty of it. You'll have to listen to find out. So um, I hope that you enjoyed this little trip through Islanders Center history. If I upset anyone with my list, please tell me. Please let me know who I love. And again, honestly, all kidding aside, if I left somebody off that you think should be on this list, please let me know. Uh, if you come up with a top 10 list on your own of centers, I'd love to hear it. I can't imagine that the players are going to be too different than my list. Uh, maybe your order will be different, but uh, I'd love to hear your list. Uh, like I said, coming up with a top 10 list of toughest centers is a lot harder than it sounds. But um, anyway, I hope to have an interview for you next week. If I don't, I have to get my shit in gear and I have to pick left wing or right wing to bring you the top 10 list for that. But uh, one thing I want you to know, and uh, I just realized I haven't mentioned this yet. If you hear um, something that sounds like wind in the background, well, I'm recording this in my dining room and I have a fan on. So uh, I'm not in a wind tunnel. I'm not driving while I'm recording this, but uh, I just started listening to what I recorded and I hear it in the background. So I'm sure you're all dying to know what exactly that sound is. And it's my uh, oscillating fan. So uh, hopefully it didn't impede all my Islander enforcer goodness of this episode. And hopefully you enjoyed it. So everybody have a great week and stay safe. Take care. Thank you.